I am Lucas Mack, and I'm on a mission to see the hurting get healed and the healed go out and heal others in order for all of us to experience the true love and light we desire. This podcast is me sharing my journey with you so you don't feel alone in your journey. Welcome to the Golden Rule Revolution. Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to another episode of the Golden Rule Revolution. I am Lucas Mack. Thank you for joining. I am really excited to bring this episode. I had a great conversation with Dr. John Connolly. He has developed a new type of therapy to help trauma victims, and and we talk about a lot of different things in this episode. And John's perspective, how he got into what he's doing, and he has helped countless people all over the world with this methodology. It's called rapid resolution therapy. And this is a fascinating episode and a fascinating story, how he got um, started. So I'm really excited to bring Dr. John Conley and everyone enjoy. Well, everyone, like I shared in the intro, I'm really excited for this podcast. I have Dr. John Conley on and I had someone reach out to me and introduce me to uh, Dr. John and his work. And I started reading and, and doing a lot of research. And first of all, I'm I'm curious, I'm excited um, to hear this whole concept of a quick change from Dr. John and a conversation, but also um, I'm excited to honor someone doing the work of seeing the world heal. And that is, you know, one of the missions that I'm on in this, in this time and space that we find ourselves in. So Dr. John Connolly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Lucas. And, and calling me John is just fine. Okay. Well, John, I appreciate you coming on. Um, w- tell me, how, how'd you get into this work? What's the background of you even becoming <laughs> even a, a social I, worker I, and then a doctor? That's yeah. a long, sad story. You really want that? Here I we go. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I bumbled my way through college, got mm. a degree in history, mm. got out and um, realized that I couldn't do anything. Mm. Um, uh, I kept looking for want ads for, you know, historians. Nobody seemed to want a bachelor's liberal history guy. I thought I had to go out and make a living. Mm. And um, someone said, well, well, what did you do in college? And I said, well, I, I wrote some papers and took some tests. And they said, did you pass the tests? I said, well, well enough to graduate. Mm. And they said, go here to this address and tell them you want to take tests. And I that I really did. And I went to that place and I started taking tests. And it was a civil service place. Mm. And so I was taking different tests for different kind of jobs. And next thing I knew, I got hired. And I was now a child protective service worker. Wow. Which up until the time that I had the job, I didn't even know there was a job mm. like that. That's how much background I had in that whole thing. Yeah. And and I found out my job was to, um, if there was an allegation alleging abuse of a child, mm. um, I was supposed to drive over and knock on the door, say, howdy, go in um, investigate the situation, do what I could to remedy that situation, if it could be, and in an emergency situation to 
um, do things involving the courts or 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 in an emergency basis, just myself, mm. to make sure children were protected. So, mm. um, oh, Lucas, I didn't know I asked from a hole in the ground in terms of how to do any of this. I mean, yeah. my whole yeah. background is, I, you know, I studied the Revolutionary War or something. Yeah. And yeah. I'm supposed to knock on a door and say, excuse me, sir, you know, mm. I just here kind of want to chat with you about how somebody's alleged you're being a little sexual with your teenage daughter. Could mm. we come in and have a conversation about it? Scary as hell. Yeah. yeah. Doing that. And I did that. And I did it for a number of years, Lucas, and and I I was exposed to oh my goodness, there's all kinds of really ugly stuff going on affecting children. I went from there to another job where I was working with kids twelve through seventeen who had run away or been thrown away by parents, and again, oh my goodness, there's some really tough stuff going on for people. Um, and another quick story, then I, 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 I ended up going to graduate school. And then just, they told me I was supposed to be a psychotherapist. And I wasn't sure how I was supposed to do that. And then I took a, a weekend course in how to be a hypnotist. I thought that might be interesting. Mm -hmm. Maybe people would stop smoking or something. Mm -hmm. um, young lady came in, and I thought you must have to stop smoking because you're 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 trim and buff and look great. Yeah. So it's not about weight loss. Must be smoking. I said, "What's going on?" She said, "I got raped." Mm. And I said, "Well, how is that something you want to tell me about?" And and she said, "I can't remember." anything about the guy who raped me. What do you mean nothing about the guy? She says, I don't know whether he was 17 or 70. Mm. I don't know whether he was white or black. I don't know whether he's fat or thin. And Lucas, that was so disturbing mm. to her for the obvious reason that, that to me, the obvious reason is, oh, I feel ashamed of not knowing. Oh, I can't help the police catch the bad guy. But you know what the worst thing about it was for her? She couldn't look around the room and know he wasn't in it. Hmm. Which I would have never thought of that, but yeah. that, that yeah. was the uh -huh. worst part. Somehow I bumbled through that thing and, and got an A plus on it. I asked her if I could record it. We did. She ended up much more comfortable and with tremendous detail. Mm. And next thing I knew, a couple hours later, I get a call from this guy and he says, this is detective blah, blah, blah. And I understand you actually did some kind of hypnotic thing with one of my rape victims. Uh, yes, sir. I actually did. And you recorded it. Yeah, I did. Well, give me the recording. I'll be right there. Yeah, yes, because she had given me her permission. He came wow. over. He looked like a detective. I mean, he was wearing a wrinkled trench coat. Wow. I, I, I hand him this little cassette. You might read about them in the history books. We used to record things on Yeah. <laughs> I gave it to this guy. He called me up the next day, and he says, he says, what the hell? And I said, what the hell? <laughs> and he said, I had the very worst crime victim I've ever had. She couldn't even tell me anything. One, two, she's freaking terrified and miserable. Hmm. And then uh, she met with you 
and she told me more than anybody ever does. Wow. I mean, incredible wow. detail. And he said, by the way, she's calm. Hmm. He said, this is a serial rapist. He's he's raping people faster than we can list them. Ken, will you work with the rest of the victims? I said, oh my goodness. I mean, I couldn't even believe I'm getting asked to do this. Next, my mm -hmm. office is filled with police, sex crime yeah. unit, FBI agents, yeah, all kinds of stuff. And then they catch them. And they and they and 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 the I still remember the name of the detective uh, that, wow. that I, I don't even remember to call my mom mom, but the detective was Detective Lieutenant Richard Dormer, head of the Major Crime Bureau Task Force on the Railroad Rapist. And he gave this interview and he said, and we particularly want to thank, thank this young guy. We couldn't have done it without him. Wow. And I was like in heaven. So that was that was a beginning of an interest in, in in that aspect of trauma. Then they just kept bringing people to me to, around rape and and even homicide. But I didn't do well with homicide victims. They just wouldn't talk to me. Yeah, um, I was going to say um, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I talk a lot about soul contracts. Have you heard of the concept of a soul contract? Tell me. So the concept of a soul contract, and I have my own spin on it, so I'll, I'll kind of tell you what the, the major theme is of it, and I'll tell you my nuanced view of a soul yeah, contract. Yeah, a soul contract is that our souls made agreements with every single person we encounter in this realm. So you and I had a soul contract at some very variant before we entered this body to have this podcast. Like I look at that everything, the law of free will exists prior to us in this physical realm and will exist well beyond we leave this physical realm. So that we all have soul contracts and those that traumatize our teachers, as well as those that are kind and everything's this lesson that we're here to learn in this earth school in a way. Well, and my nuanced view of it is that if the universe is based in love, meaning not this emotion, but the very essence of giving in Hebrew, the word for love is a hava, which means to give. So love simply gives. It's like oxygen. You and I both have oxygen in the room and it's just giving to us and that allows us to live. That's essentially what I believe like love is. Um, not from religious and I guess I could jump into a spiritual aspect, but more of a very practical expansion the universe expands because it's constantly giving and yet so many of us have had things taken from us our sense of self-worth our innocence our our memories from trauma like there's so many things that take place in this physical body that take from us and people oftentimes do it in the name of love it's the, it's the complete abomination of the universe is that, you know, like as I coach parents, I help a lot of men do healing work and, and I don't believe in hitting children. And I was, I mean, how, how they say, well, if you love your child, hit your child. It's like, well, how much do you love them? <laughs> if you show them how much you love them, beat them to death. If you really love them, no, that's ridiculous. Well, also is hitting a child is ridiculous. You know, what does a child want to be hit or held? 
was a child, you know? So anyway, I don't want to deviate beyond what you're saying. I'm just, I'm fascinated by you. If you've heard of a soul contract, because what is soul contract in my view that you have to do this work and to stumble into it in a way and bring so much resolution where there was confusion or where there was anxiety. And I just want to honor you for that. I think it's tremendous. Well, it's it's so kind of you. You're a super bright guy, Lucas, and you're experiencing and looking at things through so many layers and dimensions and such complexity mm -hmm. and then bringing that all down home where you can, um, where, 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 where there's all that should it be useful, but you get right in there with that individual and make a difference in his yeah. life, her life, that child's life, right? And and right. spread the word in the way you're doing now. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, that, how can I not have great respect for what you're offering? Mm, thank you. Growing, tell me, can you share life growing up? Like, how, what was your life growing up, and did you experience what you're helping people heal from, and what was your life? Oh, I was, you know, I mean, I, I was traumatized too, but uh, but differently. I was shy backwards. I was a kid, picked last in gym class. I didn't seem like I was able to thrive within the school system. Mm. Um, I was self-conscious. I was shy. I would cross the street rather than walk past somebody. Mm. Uh, and, um, and, and yet you know, and and my uh, contacts with people and things I've done to 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 assist folks, I I got um, you know I got away pretty easy. Mm. Um, mm. There there are certainly things that are um, um, just like much more horrific. I might have gotten spanked mm -hmm. and gotten angry. I didn't get tied up naked and burnt with cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've seen the worst of humanity or the well, effects of it anyway. I, I, I've seen some ugly stuff and it's been my privilege to um, make a difference. Mm -hmm. um, it, I, I was thinking the other day, like, what, what, what am I looking to do? And somebody said, it, it seems like you're looking to end human suffering. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, well, yeah, that's an awful broad one. I need, I need to have a shotgun with a good scatter facility to, <laughs> to hit all those targets. Yeah. I'm, I'm specifically looking to eliminate the suffering that people experience when they're looking to do things to end suffering. Yes. I'm looking to cause the process of getting better of no longer being stuck, of no longer dealing with anxiety, grief, depression, jealousy, mm -hmm. turmoil, horror, the effects of trauma. I am looking to cause it to be when somebody says, all right, I'm going to go and do what I can do to get myself into the best possible life, mm. that that doesn't drag them through additional suffering. And that's a big enough job for me to get anywhere near get, get getting getting that done mm. and so that's I, I that's that's my focus you know how, how to make it be that if somebody says 
this is what's going on for me, and this is why I'm hurting to somebody and saying, well, would, would you assist me that the that they get good, useful assistance to get them better and to get them better as quickly and painlessly as can happen? That's mm. what I'm looking to do. It's beautiful. Beautiful. It's interesting. Thank you. I was talking to someone, I'm, I'm, I got asked to speak at this uh, men's summit that's later uh, in the month of March. And the the facilitator of it had his first conversation with me, he got referred, I got referred to him. And so we hopped on a call and we we're just talking about trauma. He actually was speaking about the nice guy syndrome. And I said, yeah, I was a prolific people pleaser. Like, so you were maybe shy and couldn't engage. And it was like, anytime I engaged with someone, it was like, Oh, you want me to jump? you know, 10 feet. Okay. I'll jump 10 feet. Oh, 10 feet wasn't high enough. Okay. Like I'll just keep going until I get that recognition or someone just to tell me I'm good enough, smart enough, safe enough, you know, enough. And there's so many spectrums of this human fractal that we're all sharing. You didn't get seen the way you needed to get seen and, and maybe didn't want to be seen. I don't know. You know, that's, that's your story to tell. And yet all of us go through life with some sort of trauma. And I really believe that like the rape victim, I was a, I'm also a survivor of that. Okay. So I, I say this with the most gentle love for every person that's gone through these things is that we are more stronger than the perpetrator. We are more powerful than the person who committed that act to try to take our power. And in some weird cosmic tale of the hero's journey, we forget when these acts happen that we are more powerful. They didn't take our life. They might've tried. We might have tried to be assisting in that. Like you're saying, maybe sometimes people are trying to get out of it. But I just think it's so beautiful that no matter what humans go through, we come out on the other side of trauma, not to be victims of it, but with your help, hopefully mine and many others to help people remember that you're more stronger than it. I, 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 I love what you're saying, Lucas. I um, <coughs> have currently doing lots of trainings online, um, used to be doing things in person and flying around more like that. Um, and, and I remember uh, um, if I'm going to be doing uh, trainings and teaching people about how do you meet with somebody in clear trauma, that it um, uh, that's what we're going to talk about. So I might begin the training saying something like, hey, I'm going to be with them for a few days. I say, hey, I'm excited to be with you. And we're going to, I think, deal with some interesting stuff. By the way, how many of you folks have been raped? Mm. And there would be mm. three hands go up out of the 100 people, you know? Mm -hmm. And and then um, two days later, <clears throat> I said, I forget what came up with that. Remind me, guys, how many of you guys have been raped? And all of a sudden, there are 35 hands right. where there were three. Right. And 
I would find some way to make some dumb joke of that. Like, what have you been doing in the past couple of days? Mm, yeah, yeah. But what actually happened is that shame disappeared. That's right. And um, I, I, I'll, I'll ask people, I say, how do you know, do you know how you can tell if you did a good job while being raped? Mm. Um, I don't know whether anybody's asked you something that no, crass. No. Um, but uh, generally, uh, uh, no. What do you yeah, mean? How do right. I know? What, well, it's a good job right. while getting raped. Well, a good, I said, check your pulse. You got one? Mm. Well, you did a good job. Yes. Because the main objective while getting uh, molested, raped, mm -hmm. terrorized, mm -hmm. is be alive at the other end of it. That's right. That's if you're right. alive at the other end of it, you won that. You absolutely won that. That's right. Um, you know how you'll see sometimes a um, a license plate that says former prisoner of war? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a little boy says, Daddy, what, what is that? Well, son, that, that, that man had been in a battle, I think, and he was captured mm -hmm. and, and imprisoned. Well, why, why did he put that on his license plate? Mm. Well, son, because he's proud. Mm. If you're driving down the road in your Toyota and you were in a prison camp, guess what? You won. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so good. I'm waiting to go to the license plate bureau and, and, and um, have uh, – uh, a lovely license plate there. I can picture it in my mind. I've thought of it for a long time. And mm -hmm. it says, um, I was gang raped. Mm. And have as many people buying that as the prisoner of war plate or all the other plates. So yeah. that survival is recognized as triumph, as victory. And my goodness, even those who haven't been raped have mm -hmm. just by the nature of the culture the society our bodies and things we're we're given with um hey if if you're still alive you survived a whole lot of shit that's right, uh, that's right. so when i meet somebody i sometimes feel like you know that guy walking through the jungle the plane just crashed and then I run into you and it's whoa you made it too yeah where were you sitting yeah that's right that's beautiful. The beautiful and worthy. First of all, I I talk about this a lot in my podcast. I, I believe the majority of humans have dealt with sexual abuse. People either can't remember it or don't want to talk about it yet. But the root word of shame is shh. Silence. Be quiet. Don't talk about it. I haven't thought it. of it that way. That's I, I'm probably going to quote you. Yeah, <laughs> please. It's the same phonetics. It's the same intention and it's the same result. Be quiet. Be mm -hmm. quiet. Don't talk about it. And what I'm on a mission, I, I have been beaten, molested, raped, all. I have gone through feel like hell on this earth only to desire to bring heaven somehow through this journey. Suicide that's, attempt that's, survivor. That's so good you know, ran away from home, all, all the stuff. And yet my brother and I, we talk about it. Like 
we made it out. And yeah, that's the deal. It you is. Got a pulse, you won the war. That's right. We won. Uh, there's a line that uh, I'm going to bring. This is how podcasts go. But uh, Little Wayne, uh, the rapper, has a line that I just love. He says, "Don't call me sir. Call me survivor." And I like that's acknowledge the fullness of what I've gone through, not just the the veneer of what you see. And um, I feel like when we start honoring the truth of people's healing journeys more than we honor the ego that's presented that protects the wound, we will change the society in an instant. I think that that you're really um, onto something really significant, being concerned about shame and what you said about the beginning of it. I'm, I'm definitely going to uh, remember that. Mm. That was a great learning from you. Mm. Um, but... Um, one of the things I do that I'm excited about to introduce people to this uh, process I've developed called Rapid Resolution Therapy. Every Monday evening at 7 o'clock Eastern time, um, I do a, a free open group. It's called Solutions. Mm -hmm. And in that group, um, people are raising their hands and I say, what's going on? And that individual tells me what's going on really authentically and asks for some guidance and a different perspective on it. And we just go from one person to the next, mm. cover a lot of people uh, in a two or three hour um, time span. That's my contribution. That's available. That's free. If anybody has an interest in it, it's Beautiful. you can go to the website, rapidresolutiontherapy.com. And um, you can register right there on the homepage for the solutions group. It's a good way to kind of step into the waiting pool of yeah. what we're offering. But the, 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 the point is not just to do a little uh, ad for that group, but I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to comment on your concern about shame um, because there are people one after another really being open i mean really really being open about all kinds of stuff mm. um everything you could imagine stuff and what comes to me from that is these people are stepping into mm. the power of um of transparency and i remember a while back i was i was doing a group and some gal got up and started telling her story and some other person raised his hand and said, I really appreciate your willingness to be vulnerable. Mm. And my response was, she's the least vulnerable person in the room here. <laughs> um, she stepped into transparency and power and out of shame and into power. Mm. Um, um, I think it's, one one of the things that 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 I think is is so um, uh, that, disturbing is that everybody seems many, many people most everybody seems to have the impression that everybody else has their shit together. Together, that's right. That's right. I mean, when I grew up, the answer to how you're doing is always fine. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I, I, I guess I was mean-spirited one day. This waitress walked over to me. My coffee cup was almost empty. She's holding the thing. And she just said, how you doing there? And I said, 
Oh, my goodness. I've been waiting for somebody to ask all day. Let me tell you. I mean, earlier <laughs> I went to the dentist. I thought it was just going to be a quick checkup. But you know what? And I see this gal backing up, face white, <laughs> eyes wide with terror. And I said, yes. And she said, ah, I, 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 I didn't really want to know. Mm. She said, I just meant, do you want me to warm up your coffee? Mm. And I, so fine, fine, fine. Everybody seems fine. Yeah. Except for now, with the whole social media thing, people aren't fine anymore. Everybody's like amazing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they stuffed it Amazing. Up. There was this guy I used to pass yeah. by regularly. I'd say, how you doing? He'd say, how am I doing? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Why would you have to ask me how I'm doing? Mm. One day, finally, after I said, how you doing? He did that same thing. I just, he says, and how are you? Mm. And I said, I think I'm depressed. Mm. He said, depressed? How could you be depressed? I said, I get depressed every time you tell me you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And that is awesome. <laughs> and that is awesome, right? So we're, we're all into awesome. You know, Go on. when you're with your group and, and by the way, I'll put the show notes, I'll put every, all, you know, everyone listening, you'll, you'll, you know how I do it, put the show notes in the, or the link to everything in the show notes. Um, but I find with the group work, it's so powerful because the first person sets the tone, but then the person that follows can't be less transparent or get, you know, there's this beautiful building upon itself. Um, and it's like, if I take my mask off, everyone else feels permission to take their mask off. And it's like, here, we're going to look at it. And so I find that group work in that intention and in that setting is really beautiful. Well, like, it, it, it attacks shame, hmm. whereas psychotherapy, as I was taught to provide it, almost seemed, Lucas, to promote it. I mean, the most significant thing, the, the most sacred charge was to keep your dirty secret. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I talked to a fellow I met at a conference, and he said, I've, I've made such an improvement in my practice. Mm. And I said, what, what made it better? He says, well, I hired a carpenter. And I said, how did a carpenter make your practice better? He said, we've created an exit that's separate from the entrance. Mm. And I said, yeah, but, but, but what was, he says, so people go in the indoor and out the outdoor. Do you get it? And I said, no. I mean, it sounds great, but but spoon feed me, dude. I'm not too smart. <laughs> Help me get it. And he said, the guy going in doesn't see the guy leaving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah. And he says, yeah. I mean, what a crazy thing to be excited about. Yeah, yeah. I don't want you to know that I would be where you're on your way to. Yeah. Why not? I mean, I'm leaving. You're coming. Mm. How is it horrible for me to see you're walking into what I'm walking out of? Right. I mean, right. 
but but that whole um, shrouded in secrecy, and 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 when I what 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 I think often happens is that the secrecy that the mental health profession shrouds itself in with the supposed interest in protecting the secrets of the people they work with is actually serving a higher mission, which is that it's a way to protect the secrecy of their own incompetence. Mm. Mm. Yeah, And I think that the mental health industry shares with the educational industry and the substance abuse industry and a number of other industries that they blame the people that they weren't competent to assist. Mm. That mental health people and educators. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember anybody in the mental health field telling me, gosh, I wasn't that useful to this gal I was seeing. And so I told her I was sorry. I I just didn't have the skill. Mm. Never. Yeah. yeah. I've never heard um, of You're resistant. You weren't ready to change. You were to this. You weren't motivated enough. Blame, 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 blame who they weren't useful spank to. the child. It's a spank the child model. It's and like, you're yes. not behaving the way I want you to. Therefore, yeah, and, and of course, the, the educational system yeah. um, also never takes responsibility, but right. seems to look to motivate people with a combination of um, a, a, a public shaming and bribery. Mm. That's what it looks like from here. So if you need somebody to say a lot of nasty things about either of those systems. <laughs> um, good. Uh, well, I'm that, your guy there. Well, then you're in good company. I, I really believe, John, that we're entering the age of Aquarius, which is the age of water, which is the age of feminine energy, which is the age of truth being revealed gently, but also swiftly that it's coming, that every institution we're seeing all the institutions crumble. Politics are crumbling. The monetary systems are crumbling. The education systems are crumbling. Everything's crumbling, and people are—they're—they're they're looking around, looking for answers. But the really, we're going to find that the answer is within, and the answer is only from expressing our own truth, standing in our own power, taking our own mask off, not having to say "uh huh" to a couple. Do you agree, or do you believe this, or do you know these? you know, the test that you are taking. We're getting away from that and we're going to share these human experiences that make us truly human, which is the pain, finding purpose, healing, resolving, teaching the next generations of how to be stronger, how to be more open, how to be, uh, it's interesting, you know, you're saying the power of transparency. And I gave this Ted talk, um, breaking the cycle of child abuse. And the subline was um, the vulnerable hero's journey. And I was trying to, and I still do in a way, but I don't talk about it as much, but trying to redefine the word vulnerable as opposed to like, I know Brene Brown came out with her, her stick and this word vulnerable was coming up, but I was defining vulnerable vulnerability as the courage 
to experience love in its purest form. And like I started the podcast, believing that love is just like oxygen. It's ready to enter our hearts. But we, until we step through that and courage, drop the armor. I would, I I get it. I would say it a little different. I would say um, something about stepping into the power to Mm. um, experience love in its purest form. Mm. Because vulnerability seems to me to awaken in people a thought that that means that they are vulnerable, they're more likely to be harmed, eaten, hurt, destroyed. Whereas I would say that um, when I see people step into um, transparency and hence shamelessness, Hmm. that they have become much less what people think of as vulnerable. And it's, we're just persnickety around words back and forth. Yeah, no, but I like now. it. Yeah, I think I, we're I, saying I, the same thing. Yeah, no, I think it's beautiful. Um, I did this podcast. So I had this series called The Vulnerable Hero, and I was doing the, I was basically, I was talking about my own healing journey and where I was along the way and what I was dealing with. In this one episode that I titled, um, Are Your Badges of Honor Your Shackles of Shame? And it's like, I meet so many people. It's like, well, I was beaten as a kid or yeah, my old man used a belt or yeah. And it's like this like badge. It's like, <laughs> unless you went oh, back I follow healed, exactly what you're saying. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's and like, that's why it goes so on the far. Third, you're right. And that's why in the third day of my class, the number of people that were sexually assaulted has become 10 times more than the first day because what disappeared was the shame. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, I, but I mean, I don't think shame is accidental. I think that it's installed on purpose yes. in order to um, control children. Yes, that's right. I don't think in every culture there would always have to be shame. And I don't think any other life form would know how to experience it any more than they'd know how to spell it. Yeah, that's right. And and where does it come from? Um, It it comes from people who are installing it, I believe, and they install it into you when you're too young to scratch an itch. Um, but then it doesn't, it, it continues. It's not that they do and then they stop. Um, but what we've done with children, uh, gosh, I remember I was with this gal and, oh gosh, I was nuts about her, but I do think she might've had one or even two screws kind of (laughs) loose. Anyway, she, she has this little four-year-old, cutest little guy ever. But, I mean, they have their own thing going on. And Lucas, I am not such an asshole that I'm going to get in the middle of that. Yeah. I mean, that was danger. Mm. So I never said anything. Till yeah. one day, I just couldn't not. Here's what happens. I forget what the little guy did, but pissed her off. Nothing new with that. She sat up. She pointed at him. Her face darkened. Her voice came out all gravelly weird. And she said, he's watching you. 
Hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, the rest of the screws have fallen out. And even the kid stopped what he was doing and his eyes opened wide. And he's pretty good at ignoring her, but he didn't ignore that. Hmm. She says it again. He's watching you. And then she says, Santa. Hmm. I said, sweetness. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't do this, but I did it. I said, sweetness, it's the seventeenth day of September, <laughs> which is my birthday, by the way. So good, good. Uh, there you go. You so were connected psychically. That's, that's right. Uh, uh, I, she said, I said nothing about this in August. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, I mean, in order to get, it's tricky. You got to get a little Billy to go to school, even when he doesn't want to, yeah. and keep his pants on when he's there. Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. And and I think you do it by uh, utilizing what I call moralistic thought, which has to do with credit, blame, pride, shame, backed up by he knows when you are sleeping. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You better watch out. You better not cry. I mean, we, we, these, when you think of, I mean, how, how significant is privacy? And notice we provide none of it mm. for children. I knew that no matter what the hell I was doing, every single moment of the day, I was being watched by this weird ass tooth fairy thing. Yeah. yeah. That, that 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 had some weird fetish where it was going to pay me for a bloody tooth. Yeah, this crazy rabbit that was able to get all around the globe hiding uh, yep. all these weird colored eggs. Santa, who was a whole other story. Yeah, and if they happen to fall asleep on the job, there's always God, who not only is judging everything I do, but everything I think. Yes, I'll tell you a story uh, to affirm what you're saying. So, when I was 17. So I was in this, this family structure. It wasn't until I was 34 that I finally broke away. And then it wasn't until I was 36, I started having flashbacks of everything. And father three had never bathed my children one time. I couldn't be around. I mean, it was just, it was just a hellish life. <laughs> uh, but when I was 17, I dated this gal and I went to my, um, went to this event and then I went to dinner at Red Robin and drove her home. I remember this very clearly what time I got in because it was 11 o'clock that she needed to be home. And I pulled right in like 1050 in her driveway, just pulled in car was idling. Didn't even get a chance to say anything. I was just pulled right up. And this truck came right up behind me boom, with its brights on flashing and scared the crap out of me. And I was like, it scared her too. We were both scared. And I'm like, what the heck? And I look, I'm like, I think that's my dad. Now I didn't tell anyone where I was. No You're one. dead. My dad. dad. Yeah. You're my dead. My dad. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a different story. If I'd say, okay, it's her dad. No, it was my dad. And I get out. I'm like, what the heck's going on? I'm like, how did he, my first thought was, how did he even know where I was? I'm not late. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm like, was already terrified to do anything wrong, but I finished the story about God. So I get out. I'm, I'm like, what's going on? He's like, get home now. So I'm like, whoa. God, I'm going to really get it now. Like, what did I do now? So I get home and 
the next morning, he doesn't talk to me. I get home the next morning. I talk to him. I say, how did you know where I was? This is before cell phones. Like, how did you know where it was? And he said, God told me. And I literally believe this is how my whole, the whole power. So you're talking that God now in hindsight, now I understand the network, the one, the gal I was dating, which was set up by my family, who's also part of this like thing. And they <laughs> somehow told them where I was, but ah, I see, you see, it wasn't God. I thought I, it wasn't until years later, I had to figure out, well, how did he literally know? But that spiritual abuse and any Santa form Easter egg, bunny, tooth. It's all a form of spiritual abuse because it's a being in the spirit realm that manifests in physical realm that you cannot see. And it's terrorizing. And it's, I find it no accident too. And this might trigger a lot of people listening, but you know, my intention is to love you. Santa is an anagram for Satan and Satan in the archetype of the biblical narrative, whether it's the Hebrew Bible and the Judaism view of it, or the Christian narrative is to accuse. Satan is the accuser. So what makes us, you did. So everything he knows, if you've been sleeping, he's going to accuse you. You're bad. Everything's about accusing. And I find so often victims of trauma feel accused (laughs) Like we've done something wrong and that's the model of shame. It's like shame and accusation go hand in hand. It's a interesting relationship, like our shadow to our physical body. It's like tied to shame is accuse. You know, the girl that gets has an affair, a high schooler. I just heard about this, had an affair with the pastor. The pastor is like in his mid thirties, family, kids, and this 15 year old girl starts sleeping with the pastor and, and guess what? The church banishes the girl. Say she's a harlot. She seduced the pastor, forgives the pastor. And it's like, what the hell? Accuse the victim to protect the perpetrator. And all these forms. Of yeah, I, I hear words. your love and your care for all these people that have been victimized, Lucas. I, I do want to share with you. Please. That in... Um, But beginning then in the story that I told you with that gal, and then afterwards, over and over and over, I got really on fire with an interest in how can we cause things to get better for these people. Mm. And I began really paying attention to what they taught me and others who were into mental health uh, stuff what to do for people that were hurting, I think that the vast majority of what's being offered to people that are dealing with these kinds of issues um, is, um, is, is mostly useless and then uh, 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 also significantly harmful. Yeah. I can tell you that more than one person told me that the only thing worse than her rape was her treatment for rape. Yes. Um, good news is, I think we figured out how to get people better quickly and painlessly. And, mm-hmm. and so that's my mission now, to teach people uh, to move forward and, and carry that forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that 
what most people in the mental health industry believe is that the reason you're feeling bad is because you haven't felt bad enough. Mm -hmm. And a whole lot of the treatment is based on doing what's possible to get people to feel bad so that they can feel better. Mm. Um, and it took me, I'm embarrassed to say, quite a while to figure out that that was freaking stupid, that you don't get people to feel better by getting them to feel bad. And if it didn't work, it meant you didn't get them to feel bad enough. Right. Right. Um, Right. And I think that's what's going on. I think it's what's going on in grief groups. By the way, I wrote a book on grief recently, mm. uh, available on Amazon. It's called Grief Isn't Sacred. Mm. Um, I think uh, in grief groups, people get together to learn that it's okay to feel grief. I started looking at all the other books out there on grief, and they were different, but they all said one thing. It's okay to feel bad. Yeah. And I thought, well, it ain't okay with me. Mm. It is not okay with me for you to feel bad. Mm. It's not okay with me that you feel bad about um, uh, the passing of a loved one. It's mm. not okay with me for you to feel bad about having been raped, abused, gang raped. Mm. It's not okay for with me for you to feel bad because the other people in your platoon got killed. Yeah. Um, and we've figured it out in terms of ways of moving people through things that are gentle, often enjoyable, mm. and quickly pay off. And if somebody who's trained by me doesn't get you better, what they will do is they'll say, hey, I'm really sorry I didn't get you better. That's on me. Hmm. We never tell people you were resistant. You weren't ready to change. You didn't care enough. You didn't try hard enough. Right. You didn't have enough motivation. Right. If I didn't get you better, I didn't do my job. And then it is my job to find somebody else who will do it better. Hmm. Beautiful. That's accountability. That's, it's accountability. It's also what I mean by soul contract when I brought that up at the beginning, because what it does is reclaims our power. And, and when we don't feel power, we feel we fall prey to anyone that asserts power over us. And I love what you're saying is our job is if it falls on me, if I don't get you better and you're better, it's. Yeah. Well, there you go. Cause, cause you just got it. That responsibility yes. means power. Yes. And if I begin meeting with you saying, well, I'm here and I care about you and I'm going to be supportive, but you getting better is up to you. Mm. Well, uh, you getting better is up to me. I want the responsibility because I want the power. Yes. Yes. And I want to get it done for you. Mm. And we can. And we can. Hmm. I was, I loved the uh, video you have on your website and everyone, like I said, I'll put this in the show notes, uh, just the testimonials of, of people. And I love for me, there's females and I think the default, and this is not to minimize any females experience, but I love seeing that there is a man in there, an older man, maybe in his fifties or forties, you know, that talks to him. It's like, it's everyone. It's, 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 every color, every lifestyle, every person, everyone 
And all of us get to heal. All of us get to go to your workshops, go to your, you know, to work with the people. We This is the time. John, I've heard this in my over and over, and I've talked about this on this podcast. The first comes truth. I've heard this download and it's like rang like a bell in my head for the past couple of years is first comes truth, then comes healing. And truth is, is a very, per, there's the universal truth. You know, the, this Raphael painted the school of the masters where Plato and Aristotle have the debate of Western philosophical thought of universal truths or particular truths. And so there are universal truths. However, if someone doesn't feel safe enough to share their personal truth, they'll never experience universal truth. I find this to be. And so truth, sharing, experiencing, but also going through it to heal. And that it's like the state of healing is the state of the, what's, what's the Japanese pottery with the gold flecked infused pottery. It's Kintsugi or something like that, where this Shogun or the emperor had his pot, it broke and he tried to put it back together with all his best people in the land and they made it look terrible. So they rebroke it and they infused gold flecked glue and put it back together. And it's this art form now in Japan. And I thought healing is like that. The pot before it's broken is a pot. Great. Everyone knows a pot, but it's not as valuable as the pot that's been broken and literally infused with gold and put back together. And I find that that goodness, that is this practice that you're what doing. What an outstanding thing to say, my goodness. We are more valuable being broken and healed than we ever were never being broken. Truly. Literally, figuratively, metaphorically, ever want to slice and dice this thing. And I just I still again, like I want to know that there you. are two big missions and one is to get things put back together, but I'm also really up to whatever we can do to stop some other kid from being raped, degraded, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, beaten, humiliated, yeah. um, shamed, and, 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 and maybe change the institutions that you shame as a way to control kids' mm. behavior. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful time, and, and you're a beautiful soul on a beautiful mission. Oh, thank you, Lucas. That's so kind. It's true. I'm glad. I, I'm like looking at you like, I, I want to hang out with you. This is uh, this is very, very well, beautiful. My goodness. I hope that um, this is this is our first meeting, but I, I, I don't feel it will be the last, and I am always would be delighted to hear from you and to... Um, have a chance to um, be here with the wonderful people that listen to you and learn from you. Thank so um, um, I, um, I, I had a, I had a great time, and um, you could, um, you know, and be delighted to do it again and even again and that. again. So uh, I'm love here for you as you've been here for so many others. Thank you. I, I, I then it will be so this will be we'll call it part one not entitled but in just our our agreement it's part one and we'll have well now it's on the recorder yeah that's right (laughs) that's right um i'm so i'm so honored again i want to just say thank you and um i will put your information i'll put the website rapid resolution therapy 
Um, and again, I just want to honor you and acknowledge you for the mission. It's it's thank you, sir. We we're available globally. Okay. Um, and um, we um, we're looking to be there and and make make a difference. And we're we we, we have people from you know from the Congo and from uh, uh, every place. I'm embarrassed to say that I can't spell. Uh, a lot of the places people who are coming to us are from. Wow. Well, th that's okay. The problem is I can't even pronounce some of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, I, I never would have thought that we would have an audience made up of people from places I can't even pronounce. Mm. Uh, and I'm excited that, that that's taken place. Thanks so much for your kindness and sharing your wonderful audience and your microphone um, uh, with, with me today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, dear brothers and sisters, thank you for joining. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining the journey of seeing the hurting get healed, the healed go out and heal others, for us to stand in our sovereignty, to remember our worthiness, to receive love, release fear, and be the light that you are already nothing to do, just be. I bless you all. I love you all. I am Lucas Mack. This is the Golden Rule Revolution, and I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for listening. For support in your journey, go to my website, lucasmack.com. Mm -hmm.